Last Sunday, we began a series of messages during the Lenten season called Stronger in the Broken Places. And we said that when we look at the world around us, we see brokenness, that we live in a broken society which exists in a broken world, which is part of the broken human condition. In this series, we're going to focus on the first half of John's Gospel, and we'll be exploring some narratives like today's narrative of Nicodemus. We'll be exploring different kinds of brokenness, spiritual brokenness, cultural brokenness, physical brokenness, and emotional brokenness as we journey together toward Easter. We will be reminded of God's wonderful, all-sufficient, amazing grace that God desires to redeem our brokenness And that indeed God can enable good to come out of bad. That we, through the grace of God, might be stronger in the broken places. I don't know about you, but I'm a fixer. Raise your hands if you're a fixer who likes to to fix things, right? A lot of fixers here. I think I've been like that since I was a kid. Trying to bring everything together. Many minister types are fixers, and that can be dangerous, and we need help. We need people to help us be self-differentiated and not try to fix everything. It's a constant struggle. I would argue that many of us look around at this world, and we want to fix it. We want to make it all better, and we can't. But with God's help, God working through us, there can be redemption and healing. This week as I was studying for this morning's sermon, I came across a Jewish concept that I hadn't heard of before. And I think that it connects us with this hope of being stronger in the broken places. Our Jewish friends are well acquainted with it. It's the concept of tikkun ha'olam, Hebrew, which means healing the world or repairing the world. We usually associate repairing the world or healing the world with acts of social justice, like feeding and helping the homeless and housing the homeless, like we will do soon when Caritas joins us as our guests here, raising awareness about human trafficking and other humanitarian efforts, tikkun ha'olam, healing the world. But there's another kind of tikkun, another kind of repairing or healing that is not as well known to us, but I believe is equally, if not more important, and that is tikkun ha'nefesh, another Jewish concept. It's Hebrew for healing the soul or repairing the soul. Tikkun Hanefesh. When we engage in the work of helping others, we find that we are most effective when we take into account the sociological, psychological, spiritual, personal factors that contribute to the brokenness that we see in others. This physical and spiritual, these physical and spiritual aspects of life are like two sides of the same coin. 
And the work of transforming the world actually begins with transforming the soul. I believe that tikkun ha'olam begins with tikkun ha'nefesh. When we pay attention to the needs of the person, including our own, then healing around us can happen. The work of transforming the world begins with transforming ourselves and the souls of others. And I believe this is part of the vocabulary of Jesus when he met with Nicodemus and said we must be born again. Inward transformation. New life. World change. But some of us might have a difficult time understanding these concepts. Nicodemus did. This Rembrandt sketch, Rembrandt drawing, portrays Nicodemus sitting with Jesus in the night, asking him questions. And we can just imagine what the conversation was be, would be like. Nicodemus, very name means victory of the people. Nick, or Nike as we see it in our culture, is from the Greek, which means victory. And demos means people, victory of the people, Nicodemus. And John in his gospel tells us that Nicodemus was a Pharisee, which means to be set apart. Pharisees were set apart from all of the other Jewish brethren to study the Torah, observing scribal law. They observed the countless rules and regulations that had been compiled for everyday Jewish living. They were the experts. Nicodemus was an expert. He was also a member, says the scripture, of the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish ruling council, a select group of 70 Jewish men. It was like the Supreme Court of the Jewish people. It had jurisdiction over all of them. And one night, this learned man, this scholar, came to Jesus. As you heard Pastor Amanda say, maybe he came in the evening because he didn't want others to see what he was doing. That he was ashamed that he, as a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin, would go to this rogue prophet, Rabbi Jesus. What if his colleagues saw him? So he quietly found Jesus, and he began with an inferred question. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who comes from God. Nicodemus acknowledges that. No one could perform the miracles that you are doing if God were not with him. Right? The first question, which is inferred. And Jesus then responds with this statement, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Jesus doesn't waste any time. He gets right to the point. It's not about rule-keeping, Nicodemus. It's about what happens in the soul. It's about your nephesh. It's about transformation of your soul. Tikkun nephesh. Nicodemus asks a second question. How can someone be born again when they're old? He's a concrete thinker. But the good thing is that he's asking the questions. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. 
How can this be? He asked Jesus. How does this work? My concrete thinking mind doesn't process that. Maybe Nicodemus, like us, needed more proof. Maybe he was just filled with uncertainty. But Jesus did not shrug him off. When most people would give up on a person like Nicodemus, who was so black and white, Jesus continued to engage with him in the hopes that Nicodemus would somehow, some way, simply believe. But when Nicodemus wasn't so quick to grasp the concepts that Jesus had shared, Jesus met him right where he was. He reached back into the days of the Israelites as they wandered in the wilderness and told a story that Nicodemus would have known very well, especially since he was a Pharisee. It's the story recorded in Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9, where God told Moses to make a bronze snake and to put it on a pole, and the people who had been cursed by God because of their disobedience would simply need to look up at the snake, the, the bronze snake, and they would be healed. I imagine that Jesus looks in Nicodemus and says, Do you believe this story? And I, I imagine Nicodemus says, Well, sure I believe it. I grew up with that. I've memorized it. I've read that a hundred times, if not a thousand times. Sure I believe it. Why would I not believe it? And then perhaps Jesus looked up at Nicodemus and said, okay, then why don't you explain it to me? Tell me how it worked. Tell me how one was healed by just looking up at a snake, by the way, which foreshadows the resurrection of Jesus and how we experience healing in our souls by simply believing in the God who lives, who conquered the grave. Nicodemus perhaps responded, I don't know how it works, I just know that it works. I can't explain it, but I believe it. And then, I wonder if he heard Jesus' words in a new way. Just because you and I can't explain something doesn't mean that it's not true. We may not be able to explain things spiritual like being born again, or how the Holy Spirit works in our souls, transforming us, making us all new, or how Jesus was raised from the dead and uh, revealed himself to hundreds of his followers. But just because we don't understand it doesn't mean that it's not true. That's called faith especially for our college students, as you are exposed to all of the different things you're learning, at the end of the day, we've got to hold on to our faith, our belief system. It was Nicodemus' questioning that Jesus, Jesus that night that led Jesus to tell the basic truths of the gospel for all humankind, whether Jesus himself said for God so loved the world, or if this is John writing this to us, scholars uh, don't all, uh, all agree on that, but we know that John 3.16 is the gospel in summary, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. This story points us to a God who's approachable, 
a God who relentlessly pursues relationship with us, that God loved human beings whom God created in his image so very much that he chose to come in human form, in human flesh, and dwell among us, and ultimately would give his life on the cross as a pathway to God. Angus Dei, the Lamb of God, slain for us. And that while we are on this broken earth, that God will transform our spiritual brokenness through this Jesus, through tikkun ha-nefesh, transformation of our souls, and use this tikkun ha-nefesh to bring about tikkun ha-olam, healing in this broken world until he comes again. And as we continue along today, I want to pause and just ask a couple of questions of us as we reflect on this story of Nicodemus. I imagine Nicodemus was missing something. There was a void in his life. Maybe in his thought process, he was like, you know, I know all of this. I've studied it all my life, but there's something missing. And I've heard this Jesus And I've heard of his miracles. And I need to find out for myself if this is really true. So he went to him at night. I imagine Jesus, Nicodemus was feeling quite a distance from God. That he would be compelled to go to Jesus. Are you distant from God today? Are you feeling a disconnect in some way? Why? Can you put a finger on it? Maybe you're at a crossroads in your life and you're asking, now what? I've come to a decision-making point in my life, whether it's vocational, relational, educational, spiritual. I've come to a crossroads in my life and I'm asking, now what? And God, I I don't feel close to you. I'm not sure what to do. Like a lot of people, um, are you feeling stuck? Sometimes we feel stuck. Loss and grief. Anxiety. Sometimes we get so anxious that we don't even feel like getting up in the morning. Or going to work. Or going, going to school. Sometimes we're sad. And we just feel distant from God. Sometimes our past gets hold of us and it's like a chain that binds us and we have a disconnect. Even when we feel distant from God, though, God knows no distance. God is with us all the way. We might not feel God's presence, but He is with us. God was with Nicodemus And what he was experiencing, God is with each of us. Though we feel far from God, God is always near. And like Nicodemus, I hope that in whatever you're dealing with, that you'll simply come to Jesus. Make an appointment with God. Come to Jesus. Talk to Jesus. He hears all of our prayers. It's like the elderly woman in her church that told people that she talked to Jesus. 
and people started to ask her to pray for them. And before long, she had a ministry. And it was gaining some momentum in the church. So much so that it caught the eye of the bishop in her denomination. And the bishop went to her one day and said, I understand that you claim to be able to talk to Jesus and that he talks back to you. Is this true? It sure is. And the bishop said, if so, prove it. He said, the next time you talk to Jesus, ask him what I have confessed to him in my last prayer. So about a week later, the bishop happened to run into the woman at church. It's a function that they were both attending. And he says to her, well, tell me. Did you talk to Jesus this week? Yes, I did. Did you ask him what I had said to him in my most recent confession? She says, yes, I did. Well, what did Jesus say? He asked. And she said, Jesus told me he forgot. He forgives our sins and remembers them no more. Just talk to him. Come to Jesus. This is where we intentionally engage in coming to hear his voice, devoting ourselves to him. It's critical that we come to Jesus. And one of the ways we come to Jesus is in worship like you and I are gathered today, that we make room for the mystery of God. We know something special happens in this place. When we come to worship together, we make room for the mystery of God. Tom Long talks about that in his book, Beyond the Worship Wars. He did some extensive research on churches with worship styles across the spectrum, traditional, contemporary, blended. And he reports that there are about uh, 20 things that most congregations have in common as they worship authentically. And his list includes things like hospitality, excellent music, commitment to mission and outreach, thoughtful preaching. But number one on the professor's list, though, in thriving churches was this, that they make room somewhere in worship for the experience of mystery. Their leaders realize, he says, that worship is a place, perhaps the place par excellence, where human beings encounter God. The services these leaders carefully craft are more than just musical concerts or edifying lectures or lively social gatherings. Long says they are an event to which people come expecting to be touched somehow by the divine presence. And he writes, it's impossible to plan such a divine encounter. We, yes, we plan, but then we step back and we say, God, you do your thing. You, you do your thing. The wind of the Spirit, as Jesus tells Nicodemus, blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know from where it comes or where it goes. Long says we can approach worship in such a way that we are watchful and hopeful and attentive. We can pray for a blessing from God beforehand. 
We can talk afterward with others about the ways God has made God's blessings real to us. But most of all, we can come to the house of God often expecting surely that the presence of the Lord is in this place. As we do that, let us remember that it's all grace. It's all grace. Aside from John chapter 3, Nicodemus appears only a couple of other times in the Gospel of John. The last picture of him is in chapter 19. He and Joseph of Arimathea asked for the body of Jesus after he was crucified in order that Jesus might have a decent burial. One of Rembrandt's most famous etchings portrays that scene. The limp dead body of Jesus was slowly taken down the cross by Joseph of Arimathea, dressed as the person that he was in all of his finery. Nicodemus stands by. He's kneeling down, his face lined in sorrow, looking at the burial cloth, holding that which Jesus would be buried in. The Gospel says Nicodemus also brought with him a mixture of spices, myrrhs and aloes, about 100 pounds. What was going through Nicodemus' mind as he was there waiting for the body of Christ to be taken down from the cross? Obviously, a lot was going on in his life. This wealthy man bringing fine linen and a bountiful ex- amount of expensive spices to anoint the body of the one who had died as a common criminal. Was he still mystified as he had been when Jesus told him that he must be born again? Was he still puzzled by the response of Jesus when he pressed his question about how one could be born again? Jesus' answer had been unsatisfying for his rational mind. The Spirit blows where it wills. You feel it and you'll hear the sound of it, but you don't know from where it comes or where it goes. So everyone is born of the Spirit, says Jesus. Perhaps there at the foot of the cross, he finally understood, it's nothing you do, Nicodemus. It's all grace. The Spirit does it. It's all grace. Position, honor, success, responsibility, who you know, what you have, it counts for nothing. Nicodemus, it's all grace. And though this grace is available to us, We've got to receive it. We must make the decision to allow Christ to change us from the inside out. Tikkun Hanefesh. I don't think we can just sit there and play it safe. As the story goes, don't paint the piano. There was an old jazz club in New Orleans in the corner sat an old dilapidated piano and all of the jazz artists who were guests there at the club complained about the antiquated instrument. The piano players dreaded playing on it. The vocalists dreaded singing with it. They wanted to bring their own piano like they could bring the other instruments, a sax or a trumpet. Finally, after Years of listening to all of these musicians complain about the dilapidated piano. The owner of the club decided to do something about it, and he painted the piano. Same old piano, just a coat of paint.
in his reflections on Nicodemus, Henry Nouwen says, I love Jesus, but I want to hold on to my own friends even when they do not lead me closer to Jesus. I love Jesus, but I want to hold on to my own independence even when that independence brings me no real freedom. I love Jesus, but I do not want to lose the respect of my professional colleagues even though I know their respect does not make me grow spiritually. I love Jesus, but I don't want to give up my writing plans, my travel plans, and speaking plans, even though these plans are often for my own glory more than they are to the glory of God. Upon reflection of Nicodemus, now and realizes that he's not much different from that Pharisee who went to Jesus in the night. And he writes, quote, So I am like Nicodemus who came by night and said safe things about Jesus to his colleagues. Even a great Christian like Henry Nouwen is tempted just to paint the piano and play it safe. May we not paint the piano. There is an element of Nicodemus in all of us, and it's always easier to play it safe and keep Jesus off in the distance than to call him Lord of our life. Often it's, e it's easier to play it safe and not ask the tough questions. We need to know that we cannot always put him off. We must not keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results the next time. Don't just paint the piano. Come to Jesus and live. Pray with me. Oh God, thank you so much for this story. And thank you that it's uh, one where we can make a connection on so many different levels. Remind us that the work of transformation happens by your grace. But we got to show up and do our part in receiving that gift and making it known. In Jesus' name, amen.